Welcome to the Strategy Mob Podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, 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 what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thank you for joining me on another episode of Strategy Mob. Today, I have two very special guests from all over the world. This is like a, a global podcast. That's what we have here. We have uh, Mr. Cameron all the way from New Zealand. Did I get that right? Yeah, yeah, New Zealand, okay. uh, Gold Coast, Australia, Jason. Perfect. <laughs> and then I have Anthony on the other side, just south of the border for me in the good old USA. Hey, guys, uh, thank you for taking the time to jam with me today. This is going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. Hey, I figured, you know what, the best way for us to kick off this podcast, I think, would be with a couple origin stories. So, Cameron, I'll start off with you. How did you get started in this crazy little world we call the automotive industry? Well, one day, one day, my, my father met my mother and it was a, no, great romantic story. No, I, um, I started, I, uh, my automotive chops, um, it, it goes back actually further than myself. So I started, uh, when I was born 43 years ago, our family were the, were the Ford dealers for the part of the world that I live in right now. So, um, I literally grew up in a Ford dealership. And uh, so my father was a my father was a Ford dealer principal, and and when my father was born, I think Dad's seventy six now. His his father was a Ford dealer um, in a regional part of the state of which I live now, which is about it's about two hours away from where I am. And and he started with uh, he started with Henry uh, back in nineteen thirty two, believe it or not, selling selling tractors. And he was actually a, he was actually true story. He was actually a a Ford tractor and a Chevy tractor dealer before he was a car dealer back then. But um, obviously, obviously, uh, obviously progressed to vehicles and moved, did the old Jed Clampett and moved from the country to the city and uh, in the mid fifties. And yeah, the rest is kind of history. You know, that's so cool. You know, it's, uh, it's pretty rare, you know, to meet someone who literally got born into the industry. Um, I find that majority of us kind of just tumbled in or fell into it. Or in my case, got conned into it. Um, <laughs> but hey, Anthony, for yourself, how did you get started in the industry? I definitely wasn't born in the industry, Jason, as, as you know, my friend. And I appreciate the invitation tonight to do this. And also pushing back the time a little bit for me so I can uh, get back to my hotel here. Uh, it started with me uh, August 1997. I'm walking the beach with my childhood friend's father, Pat Clannon. Uh, who I still talk to this day here because son Jameson and I are very close. And um, I was selling at flea markets, cushions, rubber furniture, fireworks, and Christmas trees. And I'm walking the beach with Pat. It was a rare day off for me back then. I said, Pat, what do you think I should do? I have about maybe three more weeks before Labor Day hits. And then kids go back to school. And then what do I do to the Christmas tree season, you know, 10 weeks later? And he said, why don't you sell cars? I started laughing at him. And he said, what are you laughing at? I said, well, those guys are scumbags, is what I said to him. And he stopped walking on the beach and he grabbed my arm and twisted my body to his, looks at me and goes, if those guys were like that, Anthony, how much better would you be? Now, every time Pat and Lenny does it to this day, I've known him since I was five years old and I lovingly called him Uncle Pat and Aunt Joan and his wife. And every time Pat Lennon has something wise and inspiring to say, the look on his face is this. It's... So I'm 20 years old at the time and I see this look on his face. You know, he's two feet from me on the beach uh, in, in Delaware. And he's going to like this to me. And I, 
said to him, I said, well, I'm going to take you up on the opportunity. And back then there was no electronic job postings and all these different things that, that Cameron and I do uh, in our respective countries and Canada as well. So I started calling people on and 11 dealerships passed on me. They told me, sorry, kid, no experience, no job. We well, just, this is an older man's job. Want, you know, why don't you go to college? Don't call us, we'll call you. Or the one I love to hear so much, we'll let you know. And we'll let you know on an interview is just as bad as hearing at the end of the first date from her, nice to meet you. She's not calling you again, simple as that. That's a closed end comment. And we'll let you know is a closed end as well in the car uh, from an interview standpoint. And then one store gave me a shot. My first day was September 8th, 1997. Uh, and I haven't looked back since then. I spent just over 19 years with Nissan. My last time with Nissan and Subaru. And then my fourth year as a national sales recruiter and trainer affiliate with Automax Recruiting Training. Wow. That is, that's a heck of a ride, man. You know, I, like the, we could have never imagined our industry to be where it's at today. I mean, I think all of us went through the recession in some way or form. Um, I know I Definitely. did, you know, but it, it felt like it was like a, a six to nine month kind of buildup. This was like a two week, at least for us where it was, where we were at. I mean, within two weeks, you know, all the dealerships in my area were completely closed down. And, you know, I, I know, I know I have a tendency of giving our industry a lot of tough love, you know, because I push and prod and make, you know, to, for us to provide a better experience. But I will have to applaud our industry. You know, because for an industry that doesn't typically change <laughs> or change quickly yeah. at all, boy, did we have to make some just monumental changes in our process and our communication efforts within a 30-day window, which we haven't done in 10 years. So, I mean, that's pretty exciting. Now, since I feel like the world is kind of coming back to a, I'm calling it the new norm, or the place where we're just kind of accepting the fact like this is how we're going to have to do business for the foreseeable future, you know, is that we're looking at our staff. And that's what kind of the girth of this of this podcast is be about is just our staff, our employees, our team, and just saying, you know, who is the best? What kind of team should I be having? You know, how do I attract new team members into this type of time frame. So that's kind of what I want to get into today. But before we kind of get into it, guys, I'd like to know kind of where you guys are at right now, geographically, of kind of how, what's the temperature in the environment uh, or the industry for you? Cameron, I'll start with you. And then Anthony, I'll ask you the same question. Yeah, it is a, uh, it's fair to say this. It's a very interesting time in the world's history, let alone the automotive industry's um, history. And as you say, we've all been through the, the tough times and um but no one's been through a pandemic before so um you know the automotive industry has always been very resilient hasn't it you know like when when times when the whips start cracking we always find a way to to push through but the pandemic has definitely taken that to a to a new level and and yeah from a from a from a market point of view you know australia and new zealand are slightly different um new zealand New Zealand had the lockdown completely over there. So when, when everything started happening, they went into full lockdown pretty much from the start. So the, um, the, basically every business shut down, excluding the ability to, to, set, to, to sell and service essential vehicles. Um, so they suffered for, a, they suffered probably, I think, I think in total it was about an eight week period where they were completely locked. 
in in Australia when it when it first came in, um, the 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 idea of shutting dealerships for for a month or two or three was definitely on the cards, but inevitably it actually didn't happen. So, you know, we we traded all the way through, didn't miss a beat. Um, a lot of a lot of businesses adjusted their trading hours, adjusted their staff level, obviously adjusted the staff levels, um, and retained as many people as they could, even if they were, you know, even if they were working at um, 80% capacity, 50% capacity, whatever the case may be. But we traded through. So, um, you know, March and April were a complete, just put a match to it. Yeah. Um, May May was okay, but May was, May was still around, I believe the numbers were still around 35% down on the previous previous May. Um, June was only six percent down on last June. So, if you'd said back in February, March that we would only be six percent down in June, you would you would write that check, sign that contract, you know, put your hands in the concrete and put your name to it, wouldn't you? So, it it's it's a um, for all for all intensive purposes, it's it's been a very good result. And from all accounts, actually, even though we're it's only early July. All the clients that I'm talking to actually at the moment are saying July has started off pretty much how June has ended, which is bloody awesome, you know. But the 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 biggest challenge the biggest challenge that we have in this market, and it might be the same as 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 uh, as you guys, and I've heard actually you talk about on previous episodes, you know, about stock not turning and 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 you know stock rot and and all the rest of it. We, we haven't got that problem here. We actually have got the opposite problem. We actually haven't got anything to sell um, because of the shutdown in factories. It's a, uh, yeah, a lot of the dealerships now stock levels are super clean and they're all patting, we're all patting ourselves on the back saying, how good are we? No old stock. But um, yeah, the reality is we need, the, uh, we need the ships to start pumping cars in again so that we can you know, get, get cars out in the traffic. But yeah, but all all intensive purposes, it's there's still a couple of speed bumps to come, I think, in our market. There's, but it's it's not too bad. No, you know what? Inventory is going to be kind of a real thing. I mean, I was actually talking to a manufacturer the other day, and I was impressed by the manufacturer because they were actually helping the dealer body move inventory around the country, based on kind of which pockets are doing a little better than others, you know? So, it, but yeah, it's for some dealerships, we may actually get to the point where, you know, need more people. I don't have cars for those people to sell. So it's going to be interesting what yeah. the next few months may hell may, uh, may be for a handful of uh, areas out there for sure. Hey, Anthony, for yourself, kind of what's that current norm in your area right now? A lot of it was similar to what Cameron said <clears throat> down in Australia and New Zealand, uh, you know, March wasn't uh, an issue. Maybe the last week in March, I think, was 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 when it started. Uh, but I was busy nonstop in March, and then April obviously was kind of shut down. And for myself, things started picking up the second week in May uh, is when things started going. And a lot of it's making the adjustments. Everyone likes to use the word pivot now. Uh, I still like you. you I, use, I, 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 I still like using the word audible, which is you know obviously from a football play and line of scrimmage, Americana football, obviously, Cameron. But, but you know, I still like calling the audible the line of scrimmage and making the change. And there's two sides of it. I'm going to talk about the dealership side, and I'm going to talk about from you know, the sales training side as well. So starting with the dealership side, making that audible 
uh, it was giving the option to a customer for home delivery, doing everything ahead of time, you know, getting the email, uh, I'm getting the um, driver's license, insurance card, uh, credit run, everything done, pricing set. So it's a home delivery or in some, in some states, you can only deliver the car either at their home or in the parking lot. They were forbidden to be inside the showroom. Uh, for Pennsylvania, where I'm originally from, uh, and I still have a place there, it, you know, in Pennsylvania, it was weeks. You couldn't even sell cars in Pennsylvania, which really pissed me off because I had my friends that couldn't, you know, be able to pay their bills and other states were allowed to, to sell cars. So in this case of, say, uh, the Pittsburgh area, Ohio, people go over to Ohio and buy a car, but they, you know, they couldn't in Pennsylvania. And then Carvana was coming in and using their license in Georgia and taking business out of Pennsylvania. Uh, which is really bothering me. And this also included my my protege and my good friend uh, that I was the best man at the wedding. And I, I'm, I'm, he just had a little girl, May 24th. His wife, Ashley, was pregnant with her. This is my goddaughter, uh, Parker Juliana Abomar. And like when she's pregnant, she can work. So I was really fired up about that. I didn't like that. Finally, things changed about where you can start to be in the showrooms and wear your mask and all this and everything. You know, and it's so, but the adjustments were being made now everyone says, well, Anthony, people are still going to come to the dealership. Absolutely. People will still want to come to the store, and they still do now, and they will once they we get rid of this crazy restriction with masks. Once that gets rid of, people will come in. However, what are we taught in sales? Of all the years we've all been in the business, combined, we probably have about 70-something years, maybe 65, 70 years combined, all three of us in the business, that you give a customer options. And the dealerships that are giving the customer the options of a home delivery and giving the customer options of getting everything done ahead of time, doing numbers over the phone and doing things electronically. And then for the F&I process, doing it via Zoom, like we are right now, or doing it via FaceTime, you know, doing menu selling that way, they are setting records across the country. Whether if the state is all open and clear like Tennessee is, or if it was like Pennsylvania that was all shut down up until about a month or uh, five weeks ago, you know, anything in between uh, those regulations, because each state is basically acting on its own right now. So that's the adjustment from the dealership side. From the recruiting and training side, the big adjustment has been, are you willing to do remote recruiting, uh, you know, with that? Now, I have certain philosophies with that where some things work and some things don't work. And I'm very, very adamant uh, about that. But doing a what we call a Zoom, a conversation via Zoom, a conversation is what we call it, via Zoom does work. It absolutely does. So I have been able to create opportunities for our newer clients where now I'm able to service multiple stores in a week versus just one because now I'm on site. I am right now. I'm on site in the state of Maryland right now, and I'm doing Zoom conversations for another store uh, in the evening. And I'm going to do the same thing next week, you know, uh, with that as well. I have a two-week program in Illinois, uh, and during those two weeks, I have Zoom conversations up with other stores that I'll do at nighttime. You know, so it's getting other opportunities there, and then forwarding over. And the last part is, are you willing to make the adjustment when it comes to the onboarding process? And I'm sure Cameron will have thoughts on this as well. That the onboarding process more now than ever has to be done like that and the efficiency if you keep dragging out bringing people back for multiple interviews or you're afraid to hire someone as a hiring manager what the hell are you there for you know you're there to make a freaking decision and you have to be able to make the decision and live with it and train them did you hire them dead or kill them after you got them as my show is you know it's like you have to make sure you, you, you push forward with that just like when you're following up with an internet lead 
You're not going to let that sit there for hours upon hours. Don't let your applicants sit there hours upon hours either. Because it's going to have a bad taste in their mouth and you're going to lose them. And the same process when it comes to your drug screening and background and driver's license. If you are not bringing them in as their first day within 72 hours, shame on you. You know what? A lot of dealerships in my area have learned that they can do a lot with a little. And, you know, I mean, as an industry, we've always kind of focused uh, as far as staff goes, especially sales staff, is quantity over quality. And I think all three of us agree that's not that's not the right strategy at yeah. all. But we it's the truth that our industry is kind of always operated kind of under that pretense. And that's just not the case anymore. And, you know, I just got off the phone the other day with the dealership, you know, and they're. They, they understand the quality aspect now. They're like, look, we did a lot in the last couple of months with a little, all right? Now I need to find more people like those seven over there because those seven crushed it compared to the 18 I had before. And, you know, I, I love the fact, Anthony, you're bringing up, you know, remote recruiting because that was a part of our conversation, but I'm not necessarily 100% sure exactly how we kind of go about that. Cameron, I'd love to kind of get your thoughts on that. You know, how do we... How do we find that quality candidate right now, and how do we do it remotely if necessary? Well, I, I, I'm probably in a pretty good position to say that because you know, for me, we kind of, we kind of, um, I'm not going to use the word transitioned. I'll use another word, transition to um, doing a lot of remote. When it came to the candidate conversations, we we transitioned to doing a lot of remote conversations m- many years before the coronavirus was around. And and the main reason is that there's many reasons to it. I think, you know, high performing candidates, they're employed at the moment. Well, they're employed generally, you know, you can't talk to these people through business hours, you know, any conversation you have with them is going to be after hours. And back in the day, those conversations used to be in restaurants, cafes, pubs, where, where, you know, the cone of silence was there, and no one would see you and you know, all, all the rest of it, where, where nowadays, you know, I, th- I think for me, the days of jumping on a plane, uh, waking up at stupid o'clock, flying into state, talking to a person to jump on a plane and do the same thing in reverse and get home once the kids have well and truly gone to bed, those days are gone. You know, when it came when it comes to when it comes to candidate interaction, you know, I think if you've got if you've got the, your processes right. And, and that's the key. If you've got your processes right, you set up the environment and you set up the conversation correctly, you can get, you can get a great uh, relationship building session with a candidate just as effectively via video than you can sitting across a, a round table over a, over, a, over a schooner of beer. So it's, for me, I think, you know, it's, it's all about setting up that environment. You know, client, client conversations they're a different kettle of fish. I think, you know, if you're if you're looking at really establishing what a client's environment client environment is like and their values and their culture and the feeling of their business, that is a that's an important discussion to have face to face. But when it comes to candidate discussions, it's a no brainer. It's a no brainer. Yeah. Now I, I think the candidate has also changed you know I, I think a lot of dealerships have also kind of waken up to the fact that you know we're having to communicate in a way uh that our customers now require look it, 
for years, and we're talking over 10 years, video, probably 10 or 15 years, actually, you know, video communications has been a good idea. You know, literally, yeah. I think well, I dealerships using, using ten, I was using it 10 years ago. Right. Well, well I was my, too. I mean, I, yeah. think I did my yeah. first YouTube video in 2005. Um, 06, 05. Yeah. Um, but now, now I think dealerships are realizing that it's a mandate. So who they're going to hire is changing a lot. Um, I'm going to ask you kind of both of you guys' thoughts on, you know, moving forward, what kind of characteristics or talents should we be looking at in a new hire? Anthony, I'll start with you, then Cameron, I'll ask you the same question. The first step is when you're, you have the authority to make a decision in a dealership when it comes to hiring. First question I ask is, are you looking for reasons to hire or reasons not to hire? And I talked about that when we were in Vegas together, Jason, last year. You know, and that's something I'm going to talk about to the day I die. That, you know, you got to look for reasons to hire. You know, look for the, the, the silver lining. Look for the character of a person, not the finished product. Stop looking for the finished product because a lot of times it's not there. It's not. You have to develop that, you know. And sometimes that person has the finished product ends up done now <laughs> pretty quickly. Uh, you know, I mean, so there's all different people that are there. So when you start doing that, when it comes to the hiring process, looking for reasons, that's a wonderful thing. That's a wonderful thing. Using the same scripted interview, if it's face-to-face or via Zoom, being consistent that way. Cameron made a wonderful point about there is some applicants now that can't get into a dealership between 9 and 5. But now you can do a Zoom call. I've done Zoom calls as late as 11 o'clock at night uh, that yeah. I've done for applicants. I'm okay with that. Because I'm going to make an adjustment. I'm going to take care of our dealer client for Automax, and I'm going to go the extra mile and do that. That's just me, you know. My, you know, obviously all in or all out. Which obviously, you know, that's in my hashtag, you know. And that's important to be able to do that. You know, our dealers do they have time to do that? Could they sit there and do a Zoom conversation, or they sit there, you know, focus on the three deals they're working at once, and the appraisal needs to be done, the service fire. And then the five hundred thousand dollars out in the street and the CIT issue, and they've had the meeting yet, you know. I mean, and then the other question: How many deals you have? And then your receptionist comes up and she says, "There's an interview here," or you set up a Zoom call, you know, if you did that, and all of a sudden it was set up for eleven fifteen. Now it's one thirty. Oh my goodness, it never was on there. And then the applicant, you lost them. You absolutely lost them when that person, if you help build their confidence and look at the hunger and desire in their eyes and their character, especially with ladies, especially with ladies. The average dealership employs only 10% female across the country. That pisses me off. And last year, I was able to get 39.5% of the people I got hired were women. And right now, this year, I'm at 35.8%. I think I am right now uh, with that. Look for the single mom. Yes, she can work the hours. Stop freaking judging her. Give her some confidence, and if she can't be there at 9 o'clock come school season because she puts her son or daughter on the bus, let her roll in at 9.15, 9.30, and for God's sakes, don't give her grief. Give her encouragement, and watch how she'll run through walls for you. That's actually a really good point. I mean, you know, kind of going back to what I was saying earlier with dealerships having to do a lot with a little, is that a lot of dealerships have realized that that superstar culture that we've always maintained, you know, we're, we're always looking to hire that next superstar, right? We want that next Michael Jordan. We want that next 30 car a month guy or 30, 30 car a month girl. You know, we're just looking for the next one. We're, we're realizing now team, 
team. Team is what really pulled a lot of dealerships through this. And I find moving forward this, this month, last month, is that team this team effort is what's continuing through that. But we have to hire for that. And that's not something that we've typically hired for. So Cameron, your thoughts on kind of moving forward, you know, characteristics, talent that we should be looking for in a new hire. What do you think? Look, I, I, I think the answer to the question is actually really simple. You know, you and it's very much like what uh, what Anthony what Anthony has said. You know, you if you are if you are making a Ming vase, you can't make a Ming vase out of anything other than quality clay. So you 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 and the old the old adage has always been: hire the will, teach the skill. Hire that find that find the environment. Find the person that fits your environment and culture and teach them how to sell a car or teach them how to, to talk to a customer on a service driveway. You know, it is it, it is more important now than ever. And, and the, you know, the automotive industry, let's face it, and we've covered it off already really in our conversation, but we're an industry that only changes when we have to. We're not, a, we're not an industry that changes and innovates through wanting to be Wanting to be wanting to be better generally than what we were the previous day, previous month, previous year, and and I look at a lot of the. I was having a, a conversation with a a dealer principal uh, friend of mine the other week. the the result The result in June was a really good result, but he did it on thirty percent less staff. Mm-hmm. So so he got a he got a great result. Uh, he was line ball with last year on thirty percent less staff. And it's, you know, you look at it, he said, I can't see, I can't see a time where my numbers will get up to that point. We know now that we can do it. You know, that, that's those salary lines, those commission, those commission checks, we are, they're going into the bank account. We're getting a better return for, for our shareholder. So it is, you know, we've learned these lessons now. I've had, I, um, you know, I had a conversation last week about, you know, th- coming back to Anthony's point. Do you do you ever think there will be a time where a where in our model that salespeople will be able to effectively work from home? Absolutely, it is. Why isn't it possible? You know, there's we're we're a, we're a business that is a performance related business. If you perform. You, you earn the right to come back next month. If you've got sustained performance, you've got a little bit more time. But, you know, you look at the, you look at the flow of, um, you know, how does a customer interact with your business? Is the percentage in Australia, I think, is uh, it's only 7% of the time that a customer's first interaction with your store or dealership is walking, on the, walking in off the driveway. 90 that means 93% of the time it is a digital experience which you could be in Timbuktu it doesn't matter where you are you could be anywhere you know and i had uh, we you know many clients have said we've had salespeople selling cars from home how good's that you know and for me the way i think about it is you know if you're a, if you're a mum that works around school hours you know, has support, but needs to be there to drop off and pick up and and all the rest of it. Then, if you if you give them the response, if you give that person the responsibility to say manage your day, we don't care we don't care what hours you work. 
but we we care as for you as a person we we care for your performance but it's your and it's your responsibility with us to to get there if they work 20 hours a week or or 70 hours a week as long as they're getting there is the most important thing no i'm I'm with you i mean the culture is is such an important part of our industry and and i think for a lot of dealerships they've seen that because now they didn't i think a lot of dealerships didn't even know they had culture but they've seen the culture now over the last couple of months because they've seen the entire staff kind of rise to the occasion you know but i you know i was still you know you guys always get this i get dealers calling me all the time you know anybody good you know anybody good hey do you know anybody looking no right now there's a lot of fish in the pond uh there's a lot of amazing talent out there you know but it's like how do we attract that talent a that's one part and then b you know i'm so tired of dealerships being reactive to their hiring efforts i mean anthony we've talked about this a bunch of times it's like you gotta build that pipe drive or that pipeline you gotta build that pipeline you know so that you're not always just looking to grab oh oh you you got a pulse you're breathing okay come here, you're going to come work at my dealership now. It's like, you know, it's like, no, we got to set the expectations of the talent we want and continue to fill that pipeline. But I know that now it's a little different filling that pipeline. So I'd love to kind of get your guys' thoughts on that. Anthony, I'll start with you. And then Cameron, I'll ask you the same question. Before we get into that, I want to, and part part of it's this as well, but I want to go back to the point that Cameron made Mm -hmm. about how 30% reduction of the staff and you're setting all-time records. And that's true and that's great. Well, once upon a time in Major League Baseball, you know, you had a four-man rotation uh, for, for starting pitchers. Right. Even going back years before we were all born, uh, you know, you go into the stretch, you have a two-man rotation where completing the game was the norm. Now you look at, you know, Major League Baseball, you can count, uh, you know, pitchers on two hands tops that actually have more than one complete game for the year, nonetheless four, oh, my goodness, you're a $250 million uh 10-year contract, probably $350 million, 10-year contract pitcher that you have. So, yes, you can do that in a short time with it. But if you're thinking of only stamping your store that little, you will burn Mm -hmm. them out. You absolutely are. I just came out of a dealership that did 150 cars last month month, uh, or two months ago with five salespeople. They needed more people, though. Because that's great, 30 cars a month, everyone's making money, but you can't do that constantly. You're going to burn out your sales staff, and you have to sit there and develop them uh, you know, with that. So I just wanted to, to, to kind of piggyback on that point from what Cameron said. Jason, what was your question again? I'm sorry, because I wanted to address that real quick before we went to the next point there. No, no, it was just really kind of getting into building that pipeline. And pipeline. you know, right now, I mean, talent is so important right now quality over quantity is going to be the consistent motto you know mm-hmm. moving forward i think f- from now on you know but i want dealerships to stop being so reactive be proactive and build that pipeline kind of your thoughts and opinions on how a dealership goes about doing that right now absolutely and i think the biggest point is this you know and and, and Grant Cardone says this all the time, and you know, I don't necessarily agree with everything Grant does, but but he says, I, I wish I thought bigger earlier. And the dealerships that are thinking bigger and growing, the store I'm doing this week, uh, you know, in the evening for remote transaction, I'll physically be there in three weeks, and I'll physically be there again four weeks after that. They are growing, and he, you know, he's running two different stores, this gentleman, and and, and I also have done 
200 transactions for him in the last two months. You know, he's growing. They're not losing people that I'm getting them. They're growing the organization. And they're thinking the future and vision and bringing people up. No, they're not getting people to quit because they flood at the floor. Bullshit. Absolutely not. They're growing it that way. So that's the first step. Are you willing to keep thinking down the road that way? Or are you just saying, well, we only have eight desks on the floor, so we can only hire eight people. Are you kidding me? Seriously? Go get another desk for God's sake. Or you know what? Why don't you double up on desks? Because when I first started at 97, I had to share a desk. You know, so it happens. So what's I mean, what's the big deal? Give them different shifts. Stop working them bell to bell every day. Give you know, late day, early day, flip flop them that way. So maybe there's only two hours that they have to share a desk throughout the day. Okay, that's not the end of the world. They can cohabitate with that, no problem at all. You know, with that and start going that route and growing. That's how you're going to build your pipeline. Versus you have a Saturday and everyone's doubled up with a customer, and then three customers walk out. The owner sees it and goes and rips a new ass to the GM who yells at the GSM, who yells at their staff. And that's another call Monday morning and they're saying, Santangelo, we need you here right now while I'm booked five weeks out. I can do remote recruiting though. You know what I mean? So, you know what I mean? So it's like it's going that route. Why don't we schedule things and just keep employing them versus saying, I'm good, I'm good? You know, with that, go for the second and third helpings the way that you do on Sunday dinner for an Italian kid like me growing up. You know, you went the second or third helping was normal. Let's do that in our dealership and keep staffing our stores. That's how the pipe was going to be filled. Uh, that's a great yeah, way I, to do it. Cameron, your thoughts? Yeah, I um I think from 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 what I've seen in our market, I think you know the 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 if if you look at the way if you look at the way you um you go to market and 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 say, hey, I need a salesperson or I need a, a technician or you know, I want like like Anthony said before with with his experience. You know, it, experience only need apply. Yeah, uh, you know, you, back in the day, it used to be an ad in the paper, and then it and then it progressed to then it then it progressed to internet. You know, it, the job board, and then job boards. I know in your part of the world are less effective now than what they've ever been, um, depending on the role, of course. Um, and, and in our part of the world, I can definitely say it's the same. You know, the the if 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 a if a client if a client's idea of a recruitment strategy is putting every position available that they have on a job board, then it's a it's a strategy that's destined to fail because they will get what they pay for. You know, they won't attract they won't attract a performer. They won't attract someone from outside of you know their little bubble because there is it's no one's living there no one's no one's searching that database you know a, a the way to the way to attract uh top talent these days is building a building a brand reputation out there in the marketplace social media's social media obviously is a great way of uh helping and assisting with that um obviously giving people a great experience when they visit your business is a great way of of building that but I think today, I think today, as we said, as we were saying before, it's 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 all about it's all about finding people that fit your environment more than anything else, and having the ability to train the rest is is the key. You know, you in my experience, people stay connected to you to your business a hell of a lot longer when you invest in them. 
Mm-hmm. When you don't invest with them, they don't stay. They they just opportunistic and they look for that next. They look look for that next lily pad in the pod to jump to, in the pond to jump on. Um, so, and especially, I think if you're looking at if you're looking at the sales side of the business, I, I believe I believe a, a, a good training culture on the sales side is key to developing sustainable businesses. You know, take the hit in the first month or two. You know, give them the foundations to build. Give them the foundations to build a, a sales career on within your organization. Don't don't hire someone else's sales process, sales culture. Um, on the service side, well, that's easy. It's it's managing the apprentice to technician to technician ratio and building your own culture on that side. Senior executive, that's a different kettle of fish. You know, if you're looking at if you're looking at leadership people. That is a different. That's a different conversation, and that's where businesses like Anthony's and mine really come in. I believe you know it's in the absence of a in the absence of a of a of a company. Um, you know, let's face it. A, 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 every company, every dealership, every group is focused on building a reputation with their customers. Are they focused well, they on building a that, reputation? Or do they actually yeah, do exactly. it, Cameron? Well. <laughs> That's that's where their marketing budget is going, isn't it? Then it's not going towards recruitment. So, it, as far as that's concerned, so you know, in the absence of in the, in the absence of that, you know, the businesses like Anthony's and mine really come in with that um, that headhunter approach. You know, the ability to tell a company story to a high performing candidate that will. You know, he's not even thinking about changing a job, let alone looking at a job board for his next opportunity. So, you know, it, it is about it is about engaging people to tell your story on your behalf. I think at that leadership level, but it's it's all about building a brand these days. I believe. No, I'm completely with you. It, it is is about building a brand because that's what the consumer cares about, and that's what. The cut, and that's what our employees care about. You know, we were t- you mentioned something about the marketing, and and you're right. When it comes to budget, you know, everything goes over to the consumer side. You know, it's just all about acquisition, acquisition, acquisition. And you know, when I'm in marketing meetings, I, I'll spend tons and tons and tons of time defining the why buy here, and I'm always completely dumbfounded to find out that they have never defined a why work here. And, yes. you know, I would, I like to kind of get both your guys' thoughts on opinions. And I'm sure you guys have seen some great ones. So maybe you got some good examples of a why work here. Anthony, I'll start with you. And then Cameron, I'll ask you the same question. That's a great question, Jason. It is because, you know, had a, I don't know how many years you guys sold cars, but you know, the, the brag books, right? You know, the brag books, and uh, they had them under two, I'm assuming, or Cameron, you know, it's like you had them yeah, out yeah. there and you had the cards thank you cards that were handwritten and all. I mean, it's, 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 we're dating ourselves, but that's that's what it was back then. And yeah, showing people why buy. Well, why don't we have testimonials of employees? You know, why don't you show people that? You know, because what do we ask for? We ask for video testimonials from our clients, from GMs and owners, GSMs, and we put them on Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter and YouTube and everything. You know, why can't we have that from employees of, you know, the why work here? Uh, with that so it's the it's the value of it you know when you're recruiting for technicians you know custom design ads because you can't just put an ad up and get a technician to switch the toolbox it's not going to happen but to have something there as an air-conditioned shop a four-day work week 
you know, that's the stuff that the hunters and fishermen of those texts, the one, they want the four day work, work week and they'll actually take the same pay or less just to have the extra day off. Was there about that, you know, type of thing. So I think that's important to have that testimonial. And then also it comes down to the, you know, there's an open door policy, but the communication, you know, are, are, are you treating them the correct way? Because everyone wants to treat your customer the best way. But guess what? If you don't have veteran employees, you're not retaining the customer base. The customers want to see the same people there over and over again. Now, that's just so important, uh, that well-willed machine. So that would be my suggestion is, is, is going that route. And even on the interview process, when you're bringing someone in, hey, talk to this department or talk to that department. And then when you do hire them, introduce them to every member of each department, including the lotologist and the detailer and the ladies in accounting. Yes, they don't want you up in accounting because they're getting deals done. And, you know, they're in the month, obviously, is the first, second, third, and fourth when they're closing out after our in the month is done. Like, get out of here, you know? But you know what? Go up there and just say hello and show them how everyone else is working. And then you'll have the synergy in the dealership. And obviously, the synergy with totals greater than the sum of its individual parts. No, you're 100% right, Anthony. I mean, you know, we keep talking about creating happy customers. Well, happy employees create happy customers. And I feel like we need to maybe sometimes take a step back and focus and maybe kind of question ourselves how much money and time am I investing into creating happy customers when I can really be starting at the starting point and spending time and money investing into happy employees. Cameron, kind of your thoughts on defining the the why work here. Maybe you have some great examples as well. Yeah, it's actually yeah, it's it's I've got something that comes to mind on that. And and you know, I think coming back to coming back to what we've been talking about, you know, it's when I think like many things in life, if 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 you've got Ronald McDonald there telling people how good his burgers are, it, that adds that's got a certain a bit of weight to it when when the when the when the when everyone down from ronald all the way down to the all the way down to the the, the cleaner says hey our burgers are really good here that adds a lot more weight to it when you've got your customers saying that then that really completes the picture doesn't it you know so it's it's one thing a, a mission a mission statement on a website isn't going to get the job done when it comes to defining what a business is all about and I've got a, a, a great, I think everything that we've gone through recently with, with COVID and, and, and is being a real brand definer for organizations out there. How, how an organization has dealt with COVID has either, um, has either enhanced their brand to the stratosphere or has kicked it into the gutter in, in, in many ways. And I've got a, the story I've got, I had a, a friend of mine who lives in Sydney wanted to buy a car, wanted to buy a BMW. And um, I said, he said, who do you know? Like, you know, normal friend, you know, like everybody goes, you're a car guy. You must know people in the car business. Who do you know in Sydney that can sell me a BMW? And, and so I referred him to a, to a client of ours that we do a lot of work with. And and he yeah, found the car he wanted, was sitting with the business manager arranging finance. And... And the business manager said, oh, this company, 
this is the best organization I've ever worked with. And the way they've handled this COVID thing, you know, we were at the start, we were all nervous. They sat us all down and they said, we're in this with you. You know, you're, this is what we're going to do. And they laid out their plan and their plan was, you know, don't, not let anyone go. Let's bunker down. Let's, you've, you've invested with us. Let's invest with you. You know, laid it all down. And, and the communication from them from start to finish has been uber transparent every step of the way. And this, this business manager was telling this customer, and I assume it, he wasn't the only customer that he said this story to, and the customer walked away with a feeling of, wow, you know, Cameron said this business was a great business to do, to, to do custom with. Now I know what he's talking about. You know, the, the, the people on the inside of the glass were such, were such a strong brand advocate for the way they handled coronavirus that that customer says, you know what, I'm going to go back and you know, that feeling is I'll get my car service there. I'll refer friends there. I'll go back and buy another car there. And that's the, when you've got the people on the inside of the business spruiking the brand value of the, of the company itself, that for me is the key to attracting good people. You know, one of the keys anyway. Um, so yeah, it, that's my thought on it. That's that, no, that's I think it's an amazing way to attract good people. But you know, Cameron, for that person to be able to say that, you know, they, they had to feel that, or one of two things they had to feel that, and that was deeply embedded into the culture, or it was process driven. You know, um, I've gone, I, I don't know if you guys have done any of the Disney training or know of anybody that's gone through the Disney training. Um, yeah, I've been through it, yeah. it's an amazing program, it is, and yeah, it's really good. You, you know, I'll, I'll say. They're, they're onto something in the sense that I haven't seen many other people execute and they process culture. Like they literally take in culture and instead of it becoming this organic thing that kind of grows over time and develops it, they processed it in. And I'd love to kind of get your guys' thoughts on that because I'm a firm believer that moving forward as an industry that we're going to have to process our way to profitability. You know, I don't think, you know, from a marketing person, I know it's crazy for me to say this, but there's no magic diet pill. I got no magic campaign that's going to make someone walk through the door. All right. Consumer confidence is here and there. It all depends on where you live in the world and what part of the city or state or province or country, whatever it is, right? Consumer confidence is all over the place, but we're going to have to process our way to profitability. And I think one of the biggest parts of that is processing our way to culture. And I'd love to kind of get your guys' thoughts on that. Anthony, I'll start with you, and then Cameron, I'll ask you the same. Oh, boy. I know. I, I, I pulled out, like, the big gun here, buddy. Is, <laughs> I went deep on this one. Yeah, so pro processing the, 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 the culture. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm going to wear down a little bit <laughs> <laughs> on itself. So, so you're, you're, you know, say one more time. You're, you're, you're going to process the culture. What was your exact question again? Like how, how does a dealership process their way to culture? Process their way to culture. Mm -hmm. so I think the first thing is we got to stop looking at everything in, in 30 days segments. You're only as good as your last month. And we, we, we hear that all the time. What have you done for me lately? You know, it's so uh, it's like, okay, you know, well, the, you're, you're my top, you're my top one. And then if you struggle, all of a sudden you, you don't talk to them anymore. You know, and it's, it's like that. In, it's something like that in the car industry. It's like that in the vendor industry as well. Let's stop that shit, you know, and let's look at the whole thing. 
I interviewed Drew Perlman on my show about six weeks ago. Drew Perlman is the general manager of the number one volume Nissan dealership in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Delaware. And I spent years competing against Drew. And Drew said a great point. If a, if a salesperson makes a mistake and there's a mistake made and there's money that's lost, and they did a $1,500 net loss, he doesn't get mad. Even though he's paid off the net and that cost him money, he's looking at the whole picture, not just that loss of that deal. And I think that's the problem. We live in a world of instant gratification so much that we focus on that every day versus developing. Not every organization or organization, as you would say in Canada, you know, is the New York Yankees. You can't buy all the talent out there. Sometimes you're the Pittsburgh Pirates and you have to have your homegrown talent or the Oakland A's, the, 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 the uh, Moneyball, uh, Oakland A's uh, in the 90s type of thing. You got to build it up. So and the key to that is patience. I think that the way you do that is having the patience that way and looking for the good. So if they make a mistake, help them grow from it versus cutting them. Anthony, I think that's an amazing process. And I have to admit, I don't know of a dealership that has a documented process for failure. And I'm thinking when I was in the business, man, when I made a mistake, <laughs> my, right, man, my manager the, was the last person the I wanted time. to tell him. Like, right, I mean, exactly. Everyone I wanted to hide it, it and shove it under the rug, man. Like, yeah, I mean, uh, can, can I tell you something? I'm sorry to cut you off. Yeah. My favorite manager ever is Mohamed Laraki. Mohamed Laraki is from Morocco. He speaks Arabic, French, and English fluently, sometimes all in the same sentence. And I didn't meet Muhammad until I was 10 years in the business. And I was a cocky son of a bitch. I thought I knew it all, making over 100 grand a year, and I was wrong. But Muhammad showed me how to manage everyone differently. And the big key to Muhammad, and I told everyone this, because he runs Concordville Subaru in Glenville, Pennsylvania. I say, listen, you have to be up front. If you screw up, tell him. Be up front with it. And I'll be like, oh, bati, bati, it's okay, papi. It's okay, papo, as he would say. But if you get caught in a lie, you're done. Bati, you're out. You're done. You know, it's just I mean, it's simple as that. So don't be afraid. So when I screwed up, I used to go to Mo and say, Mo, I screwed this deal up. And they went to Rafferty Subaru and bought it. I went to Matt Slap Subaru and bought it. You know, and Mo, buddy, it's okay. You know, just, you know, I, I made sure when I screwed up, he heard it from me, not them. But you know what? I had the confidence that Muhammad was not going to scream at me and not going to put me down. We we're going to grow through it. Uh, you know, with that. And I think that's the problem is a disconnect in dealerships because there's a fear. There's a fear of getting fired because they were taught that from their father's father, father of the generations in the car industry. If you do this, you're out, you know, and you get fired. And then you rule with that iron fist that you do that. And then you wonder why people are afraid to tell you the truth that way. And it all starts with just being up front, but having patience again. No, I'm with you, Anthony. I mean, I think how amazing would it be? And look, all processes are designed for a goal, right? We all have a kind of a goal and objective in mind. I love the fact, Anthony, that you were saying that, you know, a, a failure, a failure, how you, how you react to a failure, all right, should be with the intent or the goal to get it to a place of growth rather than just, Learning. you know, putting the yeah. person down. So, you know, yeah. I think there are some amazing leaders out there that do that organically, but how empowering would that be to our culture if we actually documented a process like that and then empowered our management team to be able to execute on that process? Um, Cameron, I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts on, you know, what, how can we process our way to culture and maybe have some examples as well? 
I, I think cult, culture is one of those things that if, if you if you asked me what culture was and, and Anthony what culture was and you what culture was, we would probably get three different answers. So it's 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 hard to it's hard to really define. It's it's a hard thing to define. But for me, I think the you look at where you look at the the environment where the industry has been twenty years ago, ten years ago, versus versus what we're going through now, and then sort of jump in your time machine and go ten years from now. You know, do how do we see the business? acting performing same reputation i hope it doesn't have the same reputation in 10 years i really do i think you know that that in itself is one of the challenges for attracting great people to it you know we're looking at you know i would i would much rather be the business that people go through their schooling and go you know what when i'm done i want to go join the automotive industry because it is bloody awesome rather than being the industry that people trip and fall over into and say, oh shit, selling cars, that's a good idea. That, but for me, that, that's, that's probably one of our biggest challenges. But when it comes to culture, you've got to have the right piece of material to craft into being your person first. That's the key. So it's, it's no point trying to, find, not trying to find someone that doesn't fit it and make them fit it. You have to find the right person to fit it to begin with otherwise otherwise it's a handicap race that you're starting way behind the rest of the field but when it i think in many ways i think the culture if you if you think about the stereotypical dealership the culture is a byproduct of the way we do business you know we we say to and let's just look at the sales side we say to a salesperson all right mr salesperson when you turn up for work, you're going to get X amount of dollars. When you sell cars from zero to five, you're going to get X amount of dollars per car. You're going to get X amount of percentage per deal. When you go from six to 10, you know, yada, 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 yada. I'll ask you the question, Jason, Anthony. What would happen if we said, instead of you getting, you know, in Australia, let's say, I'll quote Australian numbers because that's what I'm very familiar with. In Australia, a a standard a standard salesperson's retainer is around forty five thousand dollars Australian. The standard salesperson earns, at the moment, on average per, across the board, probably their their on target earnings for a year would be around ninety thousand dollars. Some earn some earn a hell of a lot more than that. Some earn not that much, but. Just, just for round numbers, let's call it that. Would the culture of a business change if you said, Mr. Salesperson, irrespective of whether you sell three cars or 33 cars, I'm going to pay you $90,000 and I will give you a bonus based on what your customer says about you. Hmm. That's a, that's a good one. I like that. You know, you know, at, and, at and my every... at my dealership, I did. I was a little. I was very progressive. Um, I had a small Mitsubishi dealership, and Mitsubishi is a challenging. 
dealership in its own <laughs> or a challenging brand in its own, let alone dealership. Um, so, you yeah, know, we were competitive space. Oh, yeah. And I only had, I was like a five car showroom. So it was like a really tiny, really, really tiny outfit. I was only going to employ so many people, but I wanted to make sure that they could make six figures a year, legitimately make six, six figures a year. So I, I was, I was weird. I played, I paid everyone a salary, but they were also the salesperson, the FNI manager, and the service advisor all rolled into one. Yeah. So you create the relationship from the point of sell all the way through servicing your vehicle. It's the same person you talk to. And that mm-hmm. was how I kind of flipped the lid and being able to ensure that they were able to make a six-figure income. Uh, but also, it put the customer at the center of everything because they weren't being held back by bonuses or um, commissions. It was like, no, I'm getting paid to put that customer at the center of my attention. So I, I was a little, I was a little weird, but I was very, I, I got a lot of criticism for paying my staff yeah. that way. But did, did you find it? Did you find Jason though that, uh, uh, did you find that you manage those people differently than if you were paying them, paying them, a, you know, a retainer commission? Oh, huge. You know? You know, because Absolutely. I, it was it was incredibly yeah. well defined expectations. You yeah. know, and and but all your those expectations. Style changes. Oh, 100 percent. It was the expectations yeah. was is that um, they need to put the customer's needs in front of their needs, and I'm going to pay you to do so. I made it pretty easy. You, I lost I lost employees for it, but then I gained amazing employees from it as well. Absolutely, <laughs> but yeah, you breed you for for mine. You know, you when you and I've had I've, in my previous roles, I've had. I've had um, large headcounts and, you know, every time that I've given someone a responsibility and said, okay, here, this is your responsibility. I'm going to reward you with this, but in return, this is your responsibility. The majority of the time, the person grabbed that responsibility and ran with it. They've said, boss, you've put the favor in, you've put the, you've put faith in me that I'm going to deliver. I'm going to go about delivering. So in a in an if and then scenario, like we currently remunerate salespeople, for example, it's a, as you say, you're only as good as your last month, you know, you, <laughs> that's so, you only that's sold, totally you, true. <laughs> yeah, you only hey, sold eight cars this month. Don't let that happen again. Anthony, you know, I, I know you get you, Anthony, you're seeing a lot of different pay plans out there. Um, mm-hmm. uh, very old school ones, some very new school ones. Like, I know you got a thought on this, man. So what's your, what's your opinion on this? I, I think, you know, Cameron made a wonderful point about asking the question, you know, what if I paid you a bonus on the customer's review? We're so quick to cut the salesperson's bonus in half because of poor CSI or take it all away. And I get it. Don't don't leave me dealers and owner, owners and GMs. I get that. But are you paying them 150% of your bonus for having great CSI? No, I don't think you're not. Because for me... My last five years selling cars, I was at 99.8% or 998 with Nissan North America. I was in the top 1% in the whole entire United States. And it wasn't for my dad's impersonality because it wasn't there. It was there because I was looking for my clients. And I was efficient. And I cared about the CSI. And I made Peter and Stuart Lustgarden a shit ton of money for CSI. But I didn't get any money on that. If I did, I would have had that second home in California years ago. You know, so I mean, I think it's important that you share with them on that. Yes, penalize, but have the extra mile where they have not just 
I hope I get 100% of my bonus. I'm going to get 150% of my bonus. And the other part of the pay plan is this, because you're right. I look at pay plans week in and week out across the United States and Canada that are so different everywhere. And I can show, I can you know, teach a pay plan if you're brand new and know how to pay your bills and feed feed your kids. Or if you're a veteran industry and you need to make 200 grand a year, I'll show you how to do it. And I have salespeople across the country message me on Facebook Messenger and they send me their pay plans and I, I help them you know, show them how they can make the money. I think that every salesperson, every service writer's pay plan, technician, accounting, even the lotologist, you should have one custom thing in that pay plan. And you ask them this when you're bringing them on board and have them sign their pay plan. What's the most important thing to you? Sometimes the answer is money. Sometimes the answer is time off. Sometimes it's reimbursement for college loan tuition because they weren't taught by mommy and daddy how to pay attention unless pay a bill on time. You know, so now you show them that and you put in their incentive. If you hit this goal, we'll pay your college tuition reimbursement for you. If you hit this goal, guess what? Saturday morning, your son's at a football game, your daughter's at a dance recital or Girl Scouts. We'll see you at one o'clock on Saturday. Oh my God, it's Saturday. That means not gonna make any money. Will you stop with that bullshit? Let him go enjoy stuff. Because this guy right here didn't understand it and it cost me relationships. And I give anything right now to have that time back for the kids that I raised. But I don't have it. I don't have that opportunity anymore because I was too much of a slave to my dealership. You know, let's take the time, put the incentive, and then watch how they run through walls for you. You know, or if her daughter or son's sick, she doesn't have to run for a, a, a sitter. She can stay home with them and then work remotely. And when she comes in the next day or two days later, whenever they get better with the kid, they're not sitting there and she's not given grief because she uh, lost time. Or their four o'clock day, they're giving grief for leaving at 401 and you shame them into that. That's how I was in the industry and I was a slave to that. And I want to change that perception starting right now. Now, look, Anthony, I, I'm 100% with you on this. And I think to kind of, you know, wrap out our discussion today, I mean, literally what we're saying is, you know, for dealerships out there that are watching and listening right now, you put the customer at the center of all of your processes. You put the employee at the center of all your pay structures. Not You don't put yourself at the center of the, of the pay structure. You put your employee at the center of the pay structure. You do these two things, amazing things are going to happen to your bottom line. I think all three of us can agree with that. Hey, um, I know it's uh, the end of our time, but before we leave, I get to ask my favorite question of the day. Now, I both prepped you for this, so I have high expectations. <laughs> ask Cameron first. Okay, okay, ask okay. All right, all right. Cameron, look at that, Anthony. <laughs> all right, Cameron, here it comes. I thought you were going to Okay, here it comes, Cameron. Mr. Cameron, what is pissing you off? Oh, I'd like to lose 10 kilos. You and me both. <laughs> yes, I think we're all there. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm, those that will know me, and many do, will say and verify what I'm about to say, but uh, every, and, and I think a lot of, uh, a lot, I, I fall in the same category as probably you two gentlemen, is that I'm an eternal optimist. I, I'm a glass half full guy all day, every day. Um, whatever pisses me off, I generally deal with. And uh, either that or I have therapy and it disappears out of my thinking. But, 
but for me, I think, I think, look, I, you know, I think the, with everything that we're going through in the world at the moment, I think the the lesson that we're hopefully is going to stick around for a lot longer than the than the virus will is that I think we uh, we've got to we've we've learned to be grateful and and have gratitude for everything that we do have, you know. So so my uh, my my small problems or things that things that give me the shits if or in all due. It, but re- in relativity speaking, are very minuscule by comparison to other people's challenges. So I've I've learned to I'm I'm a glass half full guy, Jason, and I hope that's not a cop out. But <laughs> no, no, that's no, me. Cameron, that's a good one. I know Anthony because he's got the Italian in him can get a bit more fired bit up to, than, yeah, than you, Cameron. Yeah. So let's let's see what we got here. All right, Anthony, what is pissing Jason, you off, Jason? You know me, dude. Uh, I'm all in or all out. I don't hold back. You know that. That's just how I am. And I got my whole entire Facebook nation watching right now, too. On it. This is what pisses me off. And it'll piss me off until the day I die. Return phone calls. Return text messages. Stop ghosting people. Stop being a coward and hiding. And because you, the answer you're going to give them, you think they don't hear it, so you're afraid of dealing with it. Stop that. Buckle down and just return the call and address things head on with it. That's, you know, the, the, the minor point that I'm pissed off about. The major point is this. Give people a chance. Nothing is more hurtful in someone's professional or personal life than to not be given a chance and to be judged off of the past sins of someone else or to be judged or not judged off of your merits and, you know, your Say or think by making a decision personally or professionally to leave that person out in the cold and you say, I never will do that, give them a shot because of those things. Stop worrying about what other people say and stop basing your experience you're about to have off of your past experience because he or she isn't he or she on the past. Base it off of them. I'm with you, Anthony. That's a good one. And you said that uh, quite poetically. I was expecting a, bit, a few more four-letter words, but you you nailed it. <laughs> hey guys, for everyone, I fucking, out- I fucking nailed it. Okay, so there we there. go. Here Are you happy goes. now? <laughs> <laughs> Return hey, fucking phone calls. Your right. fucking phone calls. <laughs> give these bloody give people a fucking chance. Yeah. <laughs> well, my team's gonna have fun beeping this one out. Um, hey, <laughs> how do they say it over in England? Like, absolutely bollocks, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's bollocks, mate. Isn't bollocks. It? Right. Yeah. It's bollocks, mate. Australia yeah. too, or no? Nah, no, we don't no. say bollocks. Yeah, it's just in England, right? It's That's just my yeah. <laughs> Hey guys, for and, everyone out it, there it, that's it, uh, in Philly, they'd say it's fucking bullshit. Is what we say. You know? so, yeah. Well, that's yeah. how they say hello in Philly, but um, right, exactly. You know what you're looking at, you know. <laughs> <laughs> for everyone out there that's watching and listening right now guys and would love to connect with you and follow along and learn more about yourselves uh what is the best way to do so cameron i'll start with you and anthony i'll ask the same question uh all the socials i'm probably more active on linkedin than anywhere else so connect with me on linkedin cameron creswell search cameron creswell automotive talent uh you can find me on linkedin through there obviously my website automotive talent.com.au for all the greatest automotive opportunities in Australia and New Zealand. And uh, you can you can find me there. Hit me up. Awesome. Hey, uh, Anthony, for you, what is the best way to connect with you, sir? Social as well. Obviously, Facebook, LinkedIn. You can find me under Anthony Santangelo. Twitter, you can find me under at Focus 
Park Guy uh, under YouTube, and my cell phone number is 267-784-9752 uh, for any of your needs in the United States or Canada, uh, Australia, New Zealand. Go to my man Cameron. He's the man. Thank you, brother. I'll refer mine to you too. Hey, awesome, guys. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to jam with me today. This has been a ton of fun. You have yourself an amazing day.